Well, before we get into the text today, let me begin by saying Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Sunday. You know, over the past couple of weeks, I've talked to you a little bit about how um, I generally don't like to use the word Easter. I prefer the word Resurrection Sunday. I'm not going to get all strict and hard-nosed about it. But um, the actual name of the day in the Christian calendar is the Feast Day of the Resurrection. And uh, Easter is actually a weird influence of paganism that crept into the church uh, sometime uh, after missionaries arrived in Europe. Uh, Easter is actually a derivation of a name of a pagan European goddess, Esther. Uh, she is the goddess of spring. And so it's not unusual that as Christianity came into those countries, um, many of the holidays that they were already celebrating for the seasons, etc., uh, were uh, transferred to the Christian calendar as uh, uh, Resurrection Sunday occurs around the Passover, and the Passover always occurs uh, somewhere in the spring or at the beginning of spring or there in that midst. So uh, this is Resurrection Sunday. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, I'm excited to be here. We're having in-person worship this morning uh, at the church. Um, we are prayerful that we will have a good response. A lot of work has been put into it. Don't forget that uh, if you missed our town hall meeting on the uh, first Sunday of May, we'll be launching, re, uh, restarting our in-person worship here in the building. Uh, we will still have, as we're recording this now, as we have, as we have been told, We'll still be having protocols with masks and six-foot distancing, and you will uh, probably need to register. But just stay tuned because things change almost daily when it comes uh, to how all the protocols, uh, you do all this work to get ready for this date on the protocols, and when you got all the planning done, finally you, you get a notification that they've changed again. So we're trying to keep up as best we can. We care about your safety. Uh, we care about uh, being back in the church uh, as we worship God together. Um, so I hope that you'll be putting that on your calendar. I hope that you'll be praying as the whole church of Jesus Christ is celebrating the most momentous event in human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, as we think about this and as we prepare ourselves to go to the text, I just want to lay out some stats for you. You know I love stats, um, and the stats aren't quite as good. Uh, 25 million people dead. Um, global temperatures going haywire, causing crops to fail and starvation. No, 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 I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about this year. I'm talking about the year 536 A.D. Well, there's another 25 million dead, a financial crisis that threatens to tear Europe apart. No, it's, it's not Brexit. It's not this year either. It's the year 1347. Well, let's talk about this year, 2020. Well, there are some commonalities to the year 536 and the year 1347, isn't there? And even though this is in our lifetime one of the most horrific uh, experiences that many of us have ever gone through, it isn't the first time that the church has experienced the kind of of, of, of pressure uh, culturally, financially, uh, uh, in every way you can imagine. Um, and that's just two of the years that the church continued to thrive in the midst of global crisis. 
Well, as we look around at uh, what's going on, I think most demographers would say that the uh, past year has begun what will probably be the most significant social and cultural changes to our globe in the past 200 years, or at least the last 100 years. Surveys over the past few years have shown a gradual decline in the people of faith. I mean, even before the pandemic, the church was declining. It was becoming increasingly more difficult uh, to talk to people outside of the church about faith. And we saw the rise of the nuns, which is the, uh, uh, the, the uh, answer on the surveys that everyone does uh, that says no religious preference. Um, you know... Um, the, the interesting thing about all of this, it, it's not that our culture and our world is, is becoming pagan or, or flocking to a different religion or becoming Satanists, uh, shoes notwithstanding. It's more and more that our friends and our neighbors are, well, just simply not interested in faith. They're not, um, they're not interested in what we the church, or any people of faith have to say about the identity of who we are as human beings or our ultimate goal, our, the ultimate truths that are in our life. Um, and the interesting thing about all of that is as numbers uh, increase of those who are just simply not interested in faith, don't think it has any importance in their life, we're also seeing an increasing rate of things like anxiety, suicide, and hopelessness. They're at an all-time high right now. 75% of people under the age of 35, 75% of people under the age of 35 report that they have high levels of anxiety, fear, and hopelessness. 13% just this past, uh, uh, not this past year, but in 2019, uh, of college students thought about suicide at a rate that was climbing by 40% per year until the 2000s, 2007, and since 2007, and that rate has gone up 56%. Homicides committed by people between the ages of 15 and 24 are at a rate never before seen in history. And it is expected that because of this pandemic and because of the isolation that a people have felt, that there is the potential that these numbers will exponentially increase. For at least the last two centuries, most nations in the Northern Hemisphere were driven by a powerful hope that history was moving toward a greater order, a greater peace, and a greater prosperity. But the statistics are not bearing that out. Well, that's some of the bad news. Can I share with you some good news? If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 28? And I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. This is that great passage that literally changed the world. Matthew 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came out and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. 
But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. As he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Here ends the reading of God's holy and perfect word. May he add his blessings and his understanding to it. Amen. Well, some of the news and and stats that I shared with you before we read this great passage of Scripture probably weren't uh, statistics that encouraged you or strengthened you. And I'll have to admit that's part of the reason that I wanted to set the juxtaposition of the context of our world. That is the bad news and the good news of Scripture, the good news that we just read to you today. There's really a historical reason for all of this. It's, it's, it's not something that has caught anybody by surprise. As a matter of fact, it began um, about 200 years ago with the advent of a worldview. You know, worldviews are important. How we see the world, how we choose to relate to the world. And that particular worldview that began to really emerge a couple of centuries ago was called the Enlightenment. And the Enlightenment was this idea that humanity could work itself into a better position. That within each of us there was an innate goodness uh, and an innate ability to, to perfect ourselves, to, uh, to, to make technological advances, scientific advances. And through all of those things, we would find the hope to be a better people in a better world. Uh, The prophets, you might say, of the Enlightenment predicted uh, that this better world would come about by human reason, by science, and one that was freed from the superstitions of religion in general and the craziness of this weird religion that actually insisted that a man from a backwater town in northern Israel was crucified on a cross for the sins of the world, and on the third day he arose again. And, according to these statistics, much of what these great prophets of the Enlightenment predicted have come true, but has also proved largely unsuccessful in the lives of everyday human beings. That is, as we've advanced technologically, we're able to cure diseases that hundreds of years ago we didn't even know what caused them. And yet, this new religion called science, with its priests who wear white lab coats and reverential titles of our culture having shifted from pastor to professor, we have greatly seen that the hope that was predicted has not come to pass. In the last century, while the world was throwing off faith as the cause of everything evil, as the church was being criticized for it being the reason that so many people died in wars and acts of evil, 
The world experienced two world wars, two global pandemics, a cold war, a war on terror, a great depression, a great recession, and hundreds and hundreds of millions of people slaughtered not by religious crusades, but by the hands of communist governments who declared that God was dead. As a matter of fact, noted author Yuval Noah Harari in his 2017 book uh, Homo Deus argues that humanity has awakened to an amazing realization. Most people rarely think about it, but in the few decades we have managed to reign in famine, plague, and war. That's what he said. (laughs) We don't need to pray to a God anymore. We know quite well what needs to be done in order to prevent famine, plague, and war, and we usually succeed in doing it. Really? The title of his book, Homo Deus, actually means humanity is God. It concludes that we no longer need God. We are our own hope for the future. We are our own God. But here's what's important to recognize. That most folks, your neighbors, your friends, even if they're not people of faith, simply have not been persuaded by that argument. Hope for the future is at an all-time low throughout the world, and especially in our own country. Pessimism about government, industry, and in general, the future of our children has only deepened over the past 20 years. And in every single survey, the vast majority of people believe that there is no hope for the future. Now, they might blame lots of things, polarization, fragmentation, political partisanship, That there's a growing tribalism, a vacated center that sought to help the right and the left talk to one another. A profound loss of social trust. And the overwhelming conduit through which much of this damage has occurred is universally believed to be, are you ready? Social media. The very things that when they were introduced to our cultures were supposed to bring us together have really been tearing us apart. Now, from my perspective... It isn't that our culture is looking for hope in all the wrong places. It's that our culture is no longer looking for hope at all. Period. And that, my friends, is what lays ahead of us. You see, the world criticizes the church for its inability to understand or control the natural environment. Where were you, church, when there was famine, when there was plague, when there was war? And we somehow came to some weird conclusion that faith in Christ would answer the questions of why evil exists. You know, out there, somewhere else. But Christianity has never had that goal in mind. Ironically, what we have been more interested in is the Christian worldview of why evil isn't out there, but evil is too often in here. That's an insanely more difficult challenge, brothers and sisters. It's easy to look at everyone else and say, well, there's the problem, that person and that person and that organization. But Christianity calls us, Jesus Christ calls us to look into our own hearts and to discover our own needs and to muster up the courage to bow the head and bend the knee to the risen Lord who has already won the victory. Now, 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 don't get me wrong. I know a lot of you 
are scientists, and we celebrate the work that you do. And science is a tool, but it's not a tool that is able to eradicate human evil. If anything, it just simply gives human beings, and particularly those who want to do evil, more tools to do the evil that they want to do. And when I say evil, I'm not talking about world wars or holocausts. I'm talking about the everyday cruelty in business. Racial bias, arrogance, pride, dishonesty, and corruption that isn't just a problem that is everywhere else, but if we're honest with ourselves, those things are seducers of our own souls as well. Today is Resurrection Sunday. This past week, we walked through Holy Week, beginning last Sunday on Palm Sunday, when uh, Jesus made His entrance into Jerusalem, where He would meet the cross. On Monday, we watched Him cleanse the temple, flip over the tables, and declare that His house would be a house of prayer, and that the people had made His house a den of thieves, a place of business. On Tuesday, we eavesdropped as we listened to Judas bargain with the Sanhedrin and the religious leaders in order to betray Jesus. On Wednesday, well, actually on Wednesday, the Gospels are silent. We don't know what Jesus did on Wednesday. Maybe it was a day of prayer or reflection or preparation. Maybe it was a time when Judas dealt with his inner demons trying to discern if where he was going was the right place to go. Maybe it was the blissful ignorance of the other disciples, thinking that soon a temporal, an earthly kingdom would break forth. But for whatever the reason, the Gospels don't really share much with us about Wednesday. We know what happened on Thursday. He gathered his disciples in the upper room where he tied a towel around his waist and washed the feet of those who had followed him for the last three years. Peter, who objected, and and Judas who betrayed. And there he instituted what we call the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, the Eucharist, whatever you call it, where we are given as the church that great gift of bread and wine to remember the sacrifice and Christ's presence with us. Later that night on Maundy Thursday, he went out and there prayed with his disciples Well, at least tried to. It was in the Garden of Gethsemane that Judas would come and kiss him, thereby identifying him as the one to be arrested, and the guards of the Sanhedrin would take him into custody. And there he'd bounce back and forth between the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish court, Herod, who was the ruler of Galilee, and Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman official charged with the rule of... um, Uh, of Judea, where Jerusalem was. He'd go through six trials in that night. You can go to the Gospels and read about them. Six times they would try to convict him. And it wasn't until the last one, when even then they couldn't find anything wrong with him, that Pilate turned to the crowd and said, what would you have me do with him? And the crowd that had shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The cheers that they had shouted just a few days prior had turned to jeers, and the demands with anger and hatred and vitriol were, crucify him, crucify him. 
From there, he's beaten, he's mocked. Nails are hammered into his hands and feet. And about noon, on Good Friday, he hangs on the cross. He asks his father, the very first thing he says from the cross, he asks his father, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. For the next three hours, the burdens of the sins of the world are piled onto Jesus, and the weight becomes unbearable. And then at 3 p.m. on that Friday, with all of the sins and the brokenness of plague, of war, of murder, of adultery, of theft, of greed, of anger, of malice, of pride, all of that that declares that we are our own God, homo deus, the sin of hate and prejudice, and the separation of God from humanity push down on Jesus. And then the Father who sees the sins of the world on His only begotten Son turns His back on His only Son. And in that moment, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then it is finished. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. As Jesus breathes out his last breath, the Bible tells us that the veil of the temple was torn in two. The sky darkened, rocks are broken in half, and reports are that graves are opening up and the dead rise then the world is silent, for our Lord has died. Churches all over the world strip their tables, cover their crosses, shut their windows, for Saturday was a day of silence, of hopelessness. Jesus is laid in a tomb. It's sealed with a stone. Guards are posted because the religious leaders remember what Jesus had said, that he would rise again. And so the rest of Friday, day one, all of Saturday, day two, heaven and earth are silent. And then, on day three, the third day, the world changes. Sin and death have all been conquered. Jesus was raised from the dead. And this isn't just some spiritual or ethereal resurrection. The Greeks and the Romans already believed in a spiritual resurrection. His body was raised, the Bible tells us. His body was glorified. And now we have the hope that will never disappoint us. Suddenly, we have been confronted with the big story not just the story of our own life, not just the story of our own suffering, but a story that is bigger even than humanity itself. This life that we're living is only for a season, and we are a part as believers in that bigger story, a cosmic story, a story of eternity. Imagine that. In English, the word hope can be a word that tempts us to prepare for failure. Well, gee whiz, I hope that will happen, but if it doesn't, 
I expected it. But that's not the language of the New Testament. And the New Testament, that word that we translate hope, literally means, quote, profound certainty. That is, our hope, our profound certainty, is not just in some sort of nice afterlife where we get to fish all day forever or lay out in the fields with a gentle spring breeze, but it is a resurrection of our own bodies and souls into a new, remade heaven and earth. And this hope centers on and is made possible through the birth, that is, is the incarnation, when God came to us through the life, through the death, through the resurrection, and soon through the ascension of Jesus Christ. This is what is being offered to you, brothers and sisters. This is what is being offered to the world today, to a world that has lost hope, to a world that has been abandoned and disappointed by the false hope and the lies that we somehow can save ourselves. Our hope is not in scientific progress to avoid death or social progress to mitigate death, but our hope is in God Himself who so desperately wants a relationship with you. God the Son who plowed through death, who defeated it, and who gives us joy. Not not instead of suffering, but in the midst of suffering. The joy that no matter what the powers of darkness would throw at us, no matter the travails, no matter the struggles, we are connected to the one who defeats all of those temporal powers and establishes eternity forever and ever. I'm not inviting you to follow a wise, dead preacher. There's lots of religions that will do that. But I'm inviting you today to place your trust, your hope, your profound certainty that Jesus indeed was raised from the dead. And if that is true, that changes everything, brothers and sisters. Because if He's been raised from the dead, that means He is who He says He is, and what He has said is true. And that changes everything. It reorders and reorganizes our life. And that is the story you and I are being invited into today. Will you receive it? Will you say yes to this question? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that you accept Him as Lord and Savior? Let me tell you with every fiber of my being, if you make that declaration today and receive it into your heart and you are authentically connected, your life will never be the same. And you will never be disappointed. Will struggles continue to come? Sure. Will there be difficulties and doubt? Yeah, probably. But in the midst of all of that, when God gets a hold of you, He'll never let you go. We need to hear that word today. There is hope. And even in the midst of all of the bad news of the world, Jesus says, I am Savior, Lord, and King to the glory of God the Father. If you've made that decision today, would you click on that button? That you, if you're on our online.church platform, if you're following us on any of our other uh, 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 social media, 
would you send us an email at office at southsuburban.com. We want to celebrate with you as we square off with the future that is ahead of us and with a Lord who has been victorious over sin and death, declare the good news of Jesus Christ. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Sunday. To God be the glory, for He has risen. Amen.